When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com That's it. The season's done. And relax. And welcome to episode 44. Yes, if you're marking your scorecards now, that's 40 plus 4 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's the final episode of the season, and that means the band is back together. And what perfect guests to have than the ones that started back in August. So first up, it's Cole. Cole, how have you been over the past couple of weeks? And more importantly, are you knackered after this exciting Premier League season? Yeah, that's it, that's it Dan. You know, this is almost like that end of season game, isn't it? Where we'll just get through it and kind of look forward to the summer break. Um, and I'll just warn everyone, if you do hear my daughter, as you might do there, I'm doing my lap of honour with my little one in my arms around <laughs> the end for this. Yeah, I think this one's going to have a bit of an end of term feel, this one. So, um, you know, if it's not the usual quality threshold, I apologise now. But anyway, also returning is JS from the wonderful Football and the City website. JS, it's a pleasure to have you on board again. How have you been, my friend? Very good, Daniel Tracy. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, just sort of a bit knackered from all this football. It's been a long nine months. I'm so, I am sort of glad from a summer break, really. I know you sort of... It fills it, doesn't it? it? Does. It's, it's, I, I think just because half of our own fan base have sort of spent the entire season moaning, if it, it's yeah. sort of like even the good stuff, you, you sort of struggle to enjoy. That's right. There's always a negative in, in all these positives as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when we get to the summer, we'll bemoan the fact there's no football. But I think in the wait, next. Wait, wait, what is wrong with you? It's the Women's World Cup. Yeah, there is that, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll, I'll glance over that, but from a sort of working point of view, it's nice to sort of just... Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just from a sort yeah. of, I can actually relax for it and not be necessarily so analytical. But anyway... Um... God, I, I, I've, I've, um, I've foolishly decided that um, I was going to do a World Cup podcast, so... <laughs> Well, there yeah. you go. That keeps you busy no, over summer, no, doesn't it? No, no summer off me. <laughs> there we go. Excellent. Yeah. Right. Okay. So before we um, get into the chat, I'll best do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the bits once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Or the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. What is Loserpool? I hear you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter when we get started next season. So if he's grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Well, we can only go to the Premier League final day, really, can't we? And the fact we finally know who the champions are. So, JS, Man City edged out Liverpool by a point. And although Pep's men earned two points less than last season when they were Centurions, does this feel like the greater achievement? Yeah, perhaps because of the sort of relentless pressure from Liverpool, who... 
you know, it, it must be said have had a really, really exceptional league season as well. Um, I don't think I don't think Liverpool or for large periods they weren't quite as quite quite as free flowing and attractive maybe as they were last year, but they added that thing where they could win win ugly as well, and I th- you, it really made a lot of difference to them this year. Um, and actually, whilst it's extremely tempting to, to sort of do it as rival football fans, but it, you know, if anyone sort of says Liverpool bottled the league, I, I'm I'm not buying it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's ninety. What did they end up on? Five, ninety-seven six? points. Oh, ninety-seven was it? Oh, Jesus! And City ended up on ninety-eight then. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. So. I don't think I don't, I don't think you can bottle a league on ninety seven points. Do you, do you know what I mean? I I, th- I think it. Yeah, City City have been brilliant to see off the challenge, but I, I think Liverpool a lot of credit have to go to them this year as well. You know. Yeah, I mean, obviously people will look at that margin that got eroded, but to then still record so many points. You're right. Mm, I think bottling mm. is an incredibly unfair term. And Cole, I both agree. teams would have certainly been worthy winners. I guess the fact that City recorded that incredible 14-match-winning streak, and more importantly, when it really mattered, is ultimately the difference between success and failure. Yeah, I think oh, you could also have that just, you know, that experience of seeing it over the line, right, couldn't yeah. they? And as JS said this year, you know, City weren't as free-flowing and that they weren't, you know, brushing teams aside with as the... Oh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry to jump in, I, I meant Liverpool. Actually. Oh, sorry, mate. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah uh, I, I think both have found that this year, haven't they? I mean, City didn't dominate teams necessarily the way they did last year when they kind of won it at a canter. Um, and as you say, Jayers, Liverpool this year found that in them to kind of scrape a win over the line where last season they probably would have got brushed aside a little bit easier, um, certainly away from home as well. Um, so, you can only, after this season and finish, give both those teams massive credit and say that both those squads put in a monumental effort um, and they both you know, were a credit to themselves. And, and if you're Liverpool, you can only look back and just say, you know, having lost one game in a Premier League season to not come away as champions, that is a real hard bitter pill to swallow because any other year um, that wins you the title, the kind of season that Liverpool have had. But they have just come up against a team that, you know, have have got a world-class squad. And as you say, that run at the end of them, you know, straight wins and just getting the job done in tight games, you, you you can only just credit both teams. And I think we said last, you know, the last time we spoke, Dan, if I was a Liverpool supporter, as much as I'd be massively disappointed right now, I'd also be feeling very confident that a Premier League title could be coming within the next season or two because they've got a brilliant base to build on now at that club. Um, and you can only see them pushing on and maybe adding a couple to that squad and then getting over the line possibly next season or the season after. So I, I wouldn't be too disappointed if I was a Liverpool fan right now. You know, obviously we know they could still win the Champions League, but for me, if I, I'd be feeling confident that a title's very, very I actually, close. Um, I actually have a slightly, slightly different theory on that. I think if... Because they were so close last year in the Champions League, obviously. Um, and this season, like you said, I mean, you can't come much closer without actually winning the Premier League title and to finish on that amount of points to barely lose a game. <laughs> and somehow you still don't win. I, I wonder if somehow Spurs can find a find a way to win in, what is it, about two weeks now? No, yeah, about yeah, two and a half two weeks. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of feel if Spurs can find a way to win, I, I just wonder what that would do to their squad mentally. You know, like if they don't, if they don't win again when they've been so close and even closer this year to the league, you know, they'll probably think, right, Spurs, that will be a tough game. It's a one-off. Anything can happen, but they'll they'll be feeling more confident about that because. It's not the Real Madrid team they faced last year. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? They'll think this is an even better opportunity. So if they don't win it, I kind of wonder if it will just start to 
stagnate a little bit because I, I don't expect Spurs to be, and this is in very relative terms, but I don't expect Spurs to be quite as poor in the league next year because we we don't have a full summer of you know the Men's World Cup and Sonny going off to the Asian Games and oh goodness sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. So yeah, we, we've all got sound effects going on in the background <laughs> today. So uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I completely agree with Cole. I think they should be feeling very proud of themselves. But I'm just wondering if that sort of Herculean effort in both the, the you know the big competitions. Let's be honest, the Prem and the 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 European Cup, the Champions League, are the two things that every English club want to win um i just wonder if they'll sort of look at that and just go oh what else do we have to do do you know what i mean yeah actually that was going to be one of my questions yeah. literally sort of how you've explained it js the fact that they have got so close and yet you know obviously they've not won the premier league we don't know if they've not going to win the champions league but you know what i mean it might be something that really deflates them you know you can take positives as carl said yeah. like we've got this far and we can build on that but how can you really build on 97 points like you can't really right. envisage a title race going that close again and those two teams maintaining that same level because and and and, they, and, and also if they don't if they don't win the Champions League and even as a Spurs fan I would have to have them as favourites yep. for that game but if they don't and they think oh my god we didn't even beat the team that finished 27 points behind us in the league in the final like they're surely their players, maybe even the manager a little bit. That was and their fans. That will start to seep in a little bit, and they might think, "Oh God, sure, we we're not going to make three European Cup finals in a row. Uh, how are we going to get ninety seven points?" And City, as as Cole sort of alluded to, weren't quite as good as they were last year. I mean, they were still bloody amazing. It's still ninety eight points, you know, but. They weren't quite as amazing. They're thinking, oh, God, if that's City and they're not as amazing as they were last year, and City will add to their, you know, they'll, they'll probably look at sort of getting in someone to replace like Fernandinho or, you, you know what I mean, they will get people in. They'll be thinking, like, what what more do we need to do? Like, oh, my God, you know, when are we going to get this close again and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Not saying they couldn't. You know, they might even look at it like, oh, well, we've reached two two European finals in a row. Why can't we do it? You know, they might take that attitude. But if I was, if that was Spurs, it would almost be like the semi-finals thing. Like, oh, why can't we get past semi-finals? You know what I mean? It becomes a thing, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's that another mental block, isn't it? But maybe actually, ironically... (sighs) We we sort of did City a favour by knocking them out at the quarterfinals stage because Liverpool have had a couple of extra games and you know do, do do you know what I mean like maybe even that fatigue is fatigue maybe counted against them when it when it came to the very last thing you know yeah it's a fair point I mean Carl we talk about fine margins don't we that goal line clearance from John Stones on January third which saw the ball just eleven millimeters from the goal is arguably the finest of them all so you know. I guess that's a sliding doors moment. If that ball does go in, Liverpool could have gone the season invincible and ultimately won the title. So has this been the best ever title race for you? I think, yeah, the the quality of the two teams and, and as we've said, you know, the seasons that they've had, the points they've racked up and the way they've played when they have been, you know, when they've been good. I think we'll struggle to find a year where you get two teams as good as that and kind of as on it um, as both of those were right till the very last day. You know, we've had tight title races before. Um, and some of them have kind of just, you know, ebbed away in the last, you know, with two weeks, two games to go or something like that. But for this one to go right down to the wire um, with the teams playing with the quality they had, then I, I think this has to go down as one of the best title races we've seen um, just for those two teams and the quality they put in. Because, you know, the football at times was scintillating. Some of the individual performances were amazing. Um, and, yeah, I don't think we'll get the same next year. You know, I don't think Liverpool managed to go just one with one defeat again next season. It's very hard to do that. Um, as JS said, you know, 
again, it, you get the impression City will probably strengthen a little bit. And, you know, they've had players like De Bruyne missing for large chunks of the season. So if he gets, you know, a full season under his belt with fitness, then that's a massive boost for City. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, you know, I think Liverpool, JS may be right there. Liverpool may feel that they could have just missed their best opportunity because will City be as poor? Will they be able to put that sort of run together next season? Um, but I still think that next year we've probably got, you know, the excitement is there because I think, again, we'll have those two definitely at it from the off. And as JS said, I think we'll see next year a little bit more competition, hopefully, because as JS rightly said, hopefully you think Spurs may have a better year if we can add some quality in the summer. Um, you know, no World Cup players rested, proper home ground from the start of the season. Um, I'd like to think that we can give both of those teams a better run for their money. Uh, we know teams like United or that may strengthen. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, it, there's definitely excitement there for next season already. Um, and that's without any of those teams adding a little bit more. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree on that. Sorry to jump in, but I, I, I think... Um... I think even Arsenal, like, okay, they were a little bit flaky at times, but I think even they looked better this year again. And I, I kind of think like Emery's gonna do a decent job there. I think he'll, I think he'll get them back into the top four within two, two or three years. Do you know what I mean? Because like, I know, I know, Gwen Doozy was sort of like, sort of tailed off a little bit as the season wore on, but. He he looks like a fantastic young player, and I, I hate praising Arsenal, but you know what I mean. Don't like, we all? He does. He does. He he really does look like a fantastic young player, and I think what a lot of people people are so reactionary now, aren't they? You know, it's kind of like he's he's like what was he like eighteen, nineteen, or something this season? You know, and you kind of think like, yeah, I I, I don't know, I don't know where people stopped understanding that young players are inconsistent and have a lot of developments to to become more consistent, you know? But he's one of those, and I like that midfield of Gwendozi and Terea. If they can maybe... Uh, I don't know why they signed Socrates, to be honest, because, like, <laughs> it sounds a bit weird, but, like, he was sort of okay in fits and starts, but, like, all you, all you really ever needed to know about that signing was that I followed quite a few Dortmund fans and they, they couldn't believe not only that someone wanted to buy him, but that they were getting like 18 million quid or whatever it was. So they, fa- they found it gobsmacking. They, yeah, yeah, because they just thought it was so bad. They would have just happily just given him away on a free, basically. Well, so, you, you look at him, you know. he's not the makings of a defender that's going to get you top four football, is he? No, he's not. And I, I kind of think, like, they've they've got a couple of really good strikers in Obama Young and Lacazette. They've got some really, really good... You know, I like I said, I like that central midfield pairing of Terrell and Guendouzi. I think... I think... I, I kind of like I, I sort of struggle with the Ozil hate as much after the World Cup and the whole you know how he was treated by the German the German Football Federation the DFB and stuff which was nothing short of disgraceful to be honest and I kind of felt a bit bad for him then but I do sort of feel like I do kind of feel like he might be better off being put out to pasture in like China or something now do you, do you know what I mean and just Arsenal cutting their losses with Ozil He's still clearly got quality when he decides to turn up, but he's not. He, he's he's almost like a ghost floating around the pitch a lot of the time, isn't he? It's just sort of like I, th- I think they just need to get shot of Ozil, get a really really good younger creative midfielder, um, you know, maybe a couple of defenders, and I really think Arsenal are going to be there or thereabouts again. As much as again that pains me to. Uh, Say it, but they weren't they weren't a million miles off in the end, were they? Really, well, a point, really. I mean, Carl, yeah. are they in a good position to get back in the top four next season? You factor in uh, Chelsea with their impending transfer ban, United. The wheels have not just you know they've just collapsed, haven't they? So they're going to take a lot of um, work to uh, to make them better over the summer. So are Arsenal just needing a couple of tweaks and could be back in the top four mix? Yeah, I think so. As JS said there, you know. 
up front, they've got players that can score goals and cause teams problems. Um, defensively is where they're weak. And if they can res- sort that out and resolve that, and like as JS said, maybe add, you know, maybe someone like a Madison or someone like that would be better for them than someone like an Ozil. Um, and then if they add the right players, I think, as you've said there, with, you know, my fear would be for Chelsea next season, because obviously if they lose Hazard, we know there's unrest with the manager there. Um, they got the transfer ban. So my worry would be if you as a Chelsea supporter is can you actually get top four next season or, or will they struggle? Um, so I think Arsenal are probably best place to fill, you know, along with Spurs, that next year really top four should be what they're aiming for and should be disappointed if they miss out. Because as you say, United are in a little bit of turmoil at the moment. There's going to be big changes happen there. And you don't think that it's, you know, it's going to need more than just one transfer window to kind of resolve the issues that they've got. Um, So yeah, Arsenal should feel really confident and, given the end of the season they've had, you know, I think the right change is they've got a decent manager. So, yeah, they should feel confident next season they can get themselves back in that top four mix and then start building from there again after. I actually think Chelsea will be all right um, because, I mean, they've got about 400 mil- million <laughs> like, low, low knees out. And Everyone some come them, home, it's time. Some, it's time. Yeah, yeah, recall the lone army. It's like those sort of bits you see... In those films like Lord of the Rings where everything looks lost and then suddenly like a massive army with like Gandalf turns up you know um, and yeah I, I think they'll be fine because if they do have to sell or they're kind of almost forced into selling players like Hazard or whatever I kind of think they've got some really 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 good young young players there you know um, I, I really like that Ampadu and, you know, obviously like Loftus-Cheek and players like that. And um, well, I think Hudson-Odoi is yeah, yeah. Hudson, the right time. Hudson-Odoi, exactly. And they'd, they'd luckily for them already signed Pulisic. So, um, and I, as well, if he comes back. Weirdly, yeah, he's all right, actually. You know, um, but oh, yeah, by the way, I have it on good authority. It is actually Pulisic instead of like Pulisic. Because uh, apparently it's the American thing and it is pronounced Pulisic. Okay, so, we'll make it yeah. that for next season. <laughs> apparently, that, 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 that's what I've been told by actual Americans. So, and we can't argue with them, can we? No, no, no. Uh, well, no, no. Well, well, you, well, you can, let's but not, not, not in this let's context. Not, let's, not, let's not get into that. Okay, let's so, move on. So, James, yeah. as for Sunday, we were treated to a small <laughs> plot twist. Liverpool went ahead, then Brighton went ahead, and you thought, well, hang on. <laughs> What's happening there? But unfortunately, Glenn Murray's goal almost sort of woke City up. And once Aguero <laughs> equalised, it was just up through the gears. Yeah. Marched to uh, the title. I can't believe it was more in the end, to be absolutely honest. You know, I actually watched... Um, I actually started watching the Spurs game um, because I could. And it was like our last game. And I thought, oh, you know, if it's like Toby's last game or Chris, Chris uh, Christian Eriksen's last game, I kind of thought like... I kind of want to see it, you know what I mean? And then it was just turgid. It was a bore, it That was one of the most boring to all draws I think yeah, I've ever watched in my life. And it, it was exactly oh, that. God. Really boring. Oh, God. Yeah, I was saying to Carl yesterday, just felt like no one wanted to be there. And if the people that were there, me included, were just knackered. Knackered <laughs> for Wednesday yeah. night. So. Yeah. And it just didn't feel important. Then when no. they got the three goals, in two, uh, three minutes, uh, two goals in two or three minutes, whatever it was. So I kind of just thought, I'll oh, sod this. I'm just going to watch City. And it was like, finish 4-1. But honestly, it could have been 8-1, you know. It yeah. really could have been 8-1, that game. It was it was absolutely mad, you know. And City as well, even when they were 4-1 up in like the 89th minute, they were still like chasing everything down and like trying to score and I think Aguero was desperately trying to get get on the sort of golden boot list with all the other 20 players that run it this year you know yeah, I think it's I, th- I think as Cole said it was a pretty classic title race but I, th- I think the golden boot race I think we can say that was safe from a vintage uh, all-round striking year you know yeah absolutely I mean the argument there is from a Liverpool point of view, that their goal-scoring burden was shared. You know, you've got Mane and Salah both sharing a golden boot. So, 
Mm. In any other season, or like last season, Salah scored so many more. So there's always that. Yeah, but then, but then uh, Firmino and Mane scored loads last year, didn't they? Get yeah. like, didn't they get a hundred plus goals between them? Um, I can't remember off the top. Of uh, I, I mean, I, I think that was in all comps. Yeah, in all comps. Yeah, but, but I'm pretty sure they did. So, um, you know, that, that's what we're saying. Liverpool weren't quite as free flowing and sort of, you know, exi- quite as exciting as last year. But they, I mean, they still played bloody good football, but it wasn't quite the same thing where you just have that three three pronged front three just scaring the hell out of everyone game after game after game. I mean Liverpool had a lot of one nils and two ones and stuff like that, didn't they? You know? I guess that you know it's about grinding out performances at times. Yeah, they don't necessarily I have agree. to be free flowing mm. for getting the job done, which more often than not they did. And of course Carl, we can't mention Liverpool um, without the Champions League. We don't usually sort of cover the Champions League due to sort of the time that we record, but we've got perfect time to do so. What an enthralling week of football it's been. So, Cole, do you want to dissect what happened at Anfield first? Yeah, that, that's the real, you know, we had this game that everyone thought was dead, wasn't it? You know, and, and it was quite funny now because when you look back at the first leg, you know, you, you a couple of people mentioned that miss right at the end from Dembele and sort of kind of brushed it off as, ah, oh, you know, well, you know, yeah, it would have been nice, but actually, you know, 3-0, this, this game's over. And actually turns out that they really, you know, if he'd put that one away, then it would have been a completely different story. But what a performance from Liverpool, you know. You'd have to say, you, no one gave them a chance, I don't think. We all thought Barcelona would probably score at Anfield at least. So you kind of felt, well, this may just be job too far. And when Liverpool didn't manage to get that away goal when Salah hits the post, you kind of felt that's it, it's game over. But what a, what a story and what a turnaround. And full credit to to Liverpool. I think I started the game not wanting Liverpool to go through. Um, you're kind of thinking, yes, you know, this would be nice. That whole thing about wanting other English teams to do well in Europe kind of goes out the window, doesn't it, for most people? Um, and you kind of thought, well, I don't really want to see Liverpool get in a final. Um, but by the end of the game, I was hoping that they were going to get that fourth and get that win because it was just such a brilliant performance. Um, you know, they came out, they were right on it from the off weren't they and that early goal kind of sets the tone and you think oh hang on a minute is this game over but then you kind of felt they needed to get a second quickly to really put some more pressure on and but the fact when it gets to half time at one nil you maybe think well maybe Barcelona have ridden you know ridden the storm out and Liverpool probably needed two by half time to get through here but again they just went in recharged came out the second half and again were bang on it um, and really put Barcelona to the sword. And I have to say, the third, you know, the fourth goal, the corner, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, a brilliant bit of thinking, a brilliant corner set piece. You know, everyone switched off apart from him. Origi does well to kind of finish that first time on the volley, um, the way it's come into him. And just at the end, a brilliant performance where I think most people, as much as they may not say they want Liverpool to win anything this year, I think by the end, most of us will have saying, yeah, fully deserved, well done, you know, credit to them for getting through there because no one saw it. Um, and it kind of just set the tone for the week's football, didn't it, really? You know, and what followed after for us. Um, and just one of those games, you're glad you can say, I, I watched it, I saw it. Um, and yeah, I, I they probably couldn't have believed they were going to get through that. And the atmosphere must have been amazing. So full credit to them. And, and again, a credit to English football and a credit to themselves. Well, JS, if you could wax lyrical about that night in Amsterdam 24 hours later and the fact that Tottenham are booked a place in the Champions League final, that would be absolutely great. Over to you. Yeah, I was just saying, I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I, I agree with Cole about the Liverpool thing. I think it was astonishing. I didn't actually turn it on until uh, Wijnaldum scored in like the minute or something and it went to two and just because I thought it was going to be such a dead rubber. <laughs> I should—I really should have learned in a lifetime of football by now that it never never goes like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it never goes like that. And I should have watched it from the beginning, but I watched it after the 50-something minute when that Wijnaldum goal went in. And yeah, it was incredible. As for Spurs, oh my God. Um, yeah, I think that sums it up. But no, please continue. Yeah, that's me done. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so thanks. Um, oh, oh, my God, do you know, 
the whole game just felt like a bit of a blur. When when Delitz's goal went and I just thought, oh, this game over. When Zayek's game goal went and I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to watch it because we're watching a very, very special team that only comes along like once in a generation. Do you know what I mean? And I was thinking it was a bit like that Barca team of sort of 10 years ago. You know, you kind of just watch them because it was something so different in football. You know, you knew you were watching something really special. And I still think that about that Ajax team. However, I think that was kind of on Hargens, that how you say his name? Yeah. You know, their, their manager. I'm not, I'm not being funny, but when you 3-0 up, right, in a Champions League semi-final, why, why wouldn't you just go to a stupidly defensive formation, you know, just take off a couple of attacking players, throw on some bruisers, either a couple more defensive players or whatever it is, and just shut up shop. You know what I mean? But they weren't. And credit to them, in a way, for doing it. But that would... If I was an Ajax fan, I would have been going mad. It was a bit like... You know you know, you know, know when we were in the last... Whatever it was, when we got knocked out by Juventus a couple of years ago? Yeah, last season, around 16, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Was it was it last year or the season before? No, it was last year. I thought we got knocked out of groups last year. No, no, that was the year before. So Juventus oh. last year, <laughs> year before that. Uh, but always nice to recap how your <laughs> eight failures, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, but when when I think it was Sunny scored, didn't he first at Wembley? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Sunny. Any anyway, and I thought like. Why Why don't we just do what Italian teams and German teams have always done and just defend? And we weren't. We were just going off, trying to push on, get the game that would goal that would kill the game off. And we didn't. And then Max Legri made all of these beautiful tactical switches and they just worked straight away. And when they got the goal that was going to put them throwing away goals, then they shut up shop and defended for the rest of the match. And it worked, you know. And Pochettino was learned. Yeah, Pochettino was definitely learned when it's appropriate to attack and when not to now. And I love that. But I did sort of feel a bit fraxed because Terhagen didn't do that. And when you three nil up, you have to, don't you? However, with that in mind, (laughs) we somehow got got ourselves back into the game. And that last magic moment when. I think it was Suzoko, wasn't it? Just sent a long sort That's of right. hopeful build. Hail Mary, they called it, don't they? Yeah, American it football. was. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. And I don't even like American football that much, but um, it's, that's exactly appropriate. It was like he just took, yeah, it was like the Hail Mary, lob a long pull upfield. And from there, you don't know is anyone going to get on the end of it. It was just a hit and hope. But from there, three players three moments of magic to keep their composure in the final minute of the game like that is just one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen in football with all of that pressure. You've only got that one last chance. I mean, it's one of those things you make films about, you know what I mean? And and you watch it in a film and you kind of think, oh no, that would never happen. It's just too ridiculously improbable. And it was Lorente's knockdown Deli Alley's composure just to play that really beautiful little almost sort of round the corner pass through and then more to take it first time and it went in. I I, I was only watching it at home. I started, oh my God, I just lost my fucking mind. I was like running through the house. <laughs> I was like hitting tabletops. I, I, I even started swinging off a door frame at one point. <laughs> like, literally. I was just like, I didn't know what the fuck to do with myself. I, I, I stopped being a human being at that point. And it was only... <laughs> It was only when they showed the graphic at the end I realised Lucas Moore had scored a hat trick. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like I'd lost my mind that much. I was like, oh my god, yeah. And I, I honestly can't even remember the first two goals he scored. Yeah, I mean, Cole, your celebrations are so similar, weren't they? <laughs> oh well, like like I say, I, I, I the next morning I woke up to a massive scalding from my missus for waking her and the baby up <laughs> to sleep. 
but it, it was worth it. You know, I had to turn around and just say, listen, you, you can you can have a go at me all you like, but that moment I had it had to come out. That's a free hit, really, isn't moment. it, from the missus? You don't really care at that point, do you? <laughs> no, at that point I was just like, listen, love, you know, unpack your bag. It's not that bad. You know, come on. You know, you've been woken up for five minutes, but it was well worth it, you know. I mean, as you say, it was hard to control yourself and – as you said, Dan, I think there was either two reactions that night. One of just sitting there in disbelief because you just think this doesn't happen to Spurs. You know, this is us on the other end of this normally where someone nicks it from us right at the death. Um, so, yeah, the, the emotions there, I don't think, you know, all of but, us, I but, think as JS said, it, it was a blur. And you're just sitting there for hours after the game thinking, I cannot believe what I've just seen. I need to rewatch it. Took it took literally about three days to process it. You yeah, know, that's right. You know what's funny? You know, you said Dan had mentioned the two different reaction types. I actually had that at the City game. I was just, honestly, just... I, I came onto the computer to sort of see what people were saying on Twitter. And I, I, I think I read the first message and I, I was just staring at it for ages. I just couldn't, I couldn't comprehend it. Like I actually thought genuinely <laughs> the City game was so bad. Even worse, the Ajax one was just pure raw emotion, like said me swinging off door frames and stuff. But the, the City game, I, I actually genuinely thought I was having an actual mental breakdown. <laughs> like, I genuinely did. People were, like, writing me on Twitter, and I sort of, like, I couldn't even understand, like, the words in English that they were writing. I was just like, huh? No, don't understand. Can't, can't understand it. You know what I mean? And then someone was like, someone wrote, this is, like, a now infamous thing in one of my WhatsApp group because they sent a thing, and I was like, she, she was like, do you understand what just happened? I'm like... Not really. She said, okay, let's start with the basics. Let's start with football. And I went, I can't even process it. And she went, <laughs> okay, let's start with the ball. And I literally wrote, and I have no recollection of doing it, what's a ball? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's actually gone. thought, it's gone. Yeah, head, head had just absolutely gone. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm having an actual breakdown. Woke up the next morning and I was like, ah, no, no, it's just Spurs. But it, yeah, it's all... I think just one minute you have to check again in the morning oh, yeah. wake yeah. up and just think did that. this happen you know did this really happen and could just want to confirm before i get too cocky and celebrating <laughs> too much yeah. that i didn't have a one beer too many last night and imagine that we scored a winner you know and, and you wake up and realize no it is it is, is real this did happen I, th and, I, th I think the best tweet i saw on it after the semi-final and summed it up perfectly um someone had written um uh, shout out to Sarah Hill. Um, she she wrote um, she wrote something like is is it just me or or is everyone else like shoehorning in the fact that we reached the Champions League final into literally every conversation today? And she gave two examples. She said um, so like stranger, hi, how are you? And she put hi, we're in the Champions League final. And the other one was brilliant. She put um, she put unexpected item in the bagging area. Hi, what's really unexpected is Spurs being in the Champions League final. Well, you've got to make the most of it, haven't you? You don't yeah. know when it might come around again. So, you know, you've got to um, drip it completely dry. Why uh, not? My, my girlfriend was just lost for the next day. You know what I mean? She was, like, trying to talk about... She's a massive football fan, by the way, but, like, literally everything. I, I somehow managed to turn it back into Spurs being in the Champions League final, you know? Right, OK, let's stay on the theme of the Champions League, JS. What do you make of the report that Man City are set to suffer a one-year ban from the competition? Now, this is mm. off the back of that De Spiegel investigation at the end of last year. Mm. Will UEFA finally throw the book at a big club, or is this just lip service? Well, they did it with Chelsea. So, you know, that gave me a bit of hope on this, actually, because whilst... <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, like, I don't... I don't really have a problem so much with City it's more like the governing bodies that have allowed those situations to just happen free reign almost uh, you know a bit like Paris as well and I think 
I was worried. I thought when this kind of first surfaced, and I love to Spiegel, they're definitely the best investigative journalists in sport. By by country mile, they did the whole Ronaldo, Mayorga rate thing as well. Um, But with this, I really thought when when UEFA were like, okay, we're going to reopen this, we're going to look at the financials and blah, blah, blah. I really thought it was just going to be almost like they had a tacit agreement with City where they'd say, look, we know we're not going to punish you. We have to be seen to be doing something, you know, and that would be it. Do you know what I mean? But it just won't go away. And after them upholding the ban on Chelsea, um, the transfer ban for two, two windows, I'm actually kind of hopeful they'll do it. And it's not because I really dislike City. It's just because... If UEFA have set out these rules and they, you know, the FFP and everything else, they have to stick to them and they cannot let clubs off it if their their revenue is being boosted by sort of fake sponsorships almost by the owners. You know, it, it's not it's not right. And if if they are breaking the rules, yeah, I'm I'm kind of hopeful, a bit more hopeful now that they will do it, and I think it would be the right thing to do. Finally, it looks like UEFA have finally grown a pair, and I hope they're not listening to this because they follow me on Twitter. But you know, sod them. I don't think UEFA listen to this. They might, although to be fair, Carl, they might. we've um, decided some laws or suggested some laws, and about a week later, they've been sort of announced as gospel. So maybe they do listen to it. Who knows? But, Carl, what's your take on all things Man City? Because I don't think if this ban does um, come around, I don't think it's going to be as soon as um, this coming season, you know, uh, 20, I don't even know what year in, 90 and 20 and all that. But it could be something that then goes to the court of arbitration and, you know, delays, etc., etc. So the punishment could be there. But do you think it's um, fitting of the crime? Yeah, I think like as JS said, it, it would be nice to finally see... Um, FIFA and UEFA get their get their act together and actually hit these teams where they know it will hurt them. And you know it will be these bans and possibly you know a suspension from this competition that might make these people you know wake up and realise. Listen, you know this is not this is not just Mickey Mouse court where we can just pay FIFA or that off and it's all brushed under the carpet and forgotten. I think you know as JS said there is some kind of hope that finally we've got people in charge of the game who will punish people who are just basically flat, you know, basically just sticking two fingers up to the rules and saying, well, they don't count to us because if we get caught, we'll just pay you off and, and that'll be the end of it, you know, because there are smaller sides that do get punished and hit with, you know, points deductions and things like that. So why should the big boys be any different? Um, so that, that, Let's hope that, you know, if that if they have done and it is proved they've done what they've done, then they've got to face the punishment that comes along with that. And I think what's being suggested would be the right kind of punishment. OK, let's move back to domestic matters now. And just a day after the Premier League season ended, Chris Hewton was sacked as Brighton manager. A decision that has split opinion, it's fair to say. On one hand, it's a case of, well, what else was he meant to achieve with a club of Brighton stature? On the other, it's, well, it was an awful end of the season. That run makes you worry about next time around. So, JS, I'll ask you first, what's your take on the sacking on the South Coast? Uh, I think it's a disgrace, personally. Um, really? Yeah, absolutely. They, they, had, uh, they had the third lowest wage bill in the Premier League, finished fourth from bottom and made an FA Cup semi-final. I don't really understand what else Chris Hewson's meant to do with that. Well, yeah, okay. you're certainly on one side of the camp. Carl, I'll ask you sort of from the point of view, you know, whether you agree or not, but there's no getting away from the fact that Brighton's run at the end of the season in the league was poor. You know, they went six games without a goal towards the end, just stayed up, had Palace not beaten, sorry, had Cardiff beaten Palace in the penultimate week, it could have been Brighton, well, it would have been Brighton being relegated. So you can understand the fear, but is that fear justified in terms of a sacking? I think this is what we've spoken about before, isn't it? It reminds me of the conversation we had after the um, West Brom manager was sacked, Darren Moore, because you kind of are sitting there saying, you know, it seems like loyalty doesn't get you anywhere nowadays and clubs are not prepared to kind of stick with someone who's achieved great things with a club over a period of time. Um, And I guess, as you say, Brighton may be sitting there thinking, well, has Chris now run his course here? Can he get any more? But then at the same time, you kind of think, why can't 
can't they have just said to him, you know, end of season meeting, listen, we won't put up with that again next season. And if we start the same way and things look as bad at the beginning of the season, then, you know, we will have a decision to make. But we're going to give you, you know, a summer to try and get some, bring some players in. You know, we want to see a little bit more expansive football if we can, better attacking football. And then see what happens because surely he has earned the right with what he's achieved there for them to be given, you know, if you like, not say an official warning, but almost like a little bit of a, listen, Chris, you know, that end of the season wasn't what we want and we want more. Um, And then see if he can produce that um, before you just rain the axe down and suddenly, you know, the guy's gone. Um, So I do think there is that feeling of, well, there's no loyalty left, but, there are some people looking at it, aren't there, as well? They've had a horrid run. They haven't looked like scoring. But again, you know, the momentum was against them at the end. You know, players were down. And you, you should really, you know, we want to see some loyalty brought back into the game, don't we? And someone like Chris, for everything he's done there, you just kind of feel yeah. that they've given him the start of the season, a summer, another transfer window, but just express that, listen, mm. that, that isn't good enough and we want to see better. Um, because but, they may but, find that he produces better next yeah, year. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. But, but again, it's like, it's like, it is the thing of having the third lowest wage bill in the Premier League. So even if you pay a little bit, I know they spent quite a lot, but you're gonna probably you're probably paying a little bit over the odds because you're in the Premier League, and because you know players probably need a little bit more convincing to kind of go to somewhere like Brighton. And the third, I think, if you've got the third lowest wage bill in the league, you cannot expect to have the type of players necessarily that are gonna. I mean, what 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 are their expectations? Well, what are they thinking? Really, isn't it? I mean, that is the oh, basic yeah, expectation. Yeah, that's, that's that's what I'm saying. And Chris Hewson, as um, as Cole said, when he when he joined them four years ago, he stabilised the club massively because they were they were not almost struggling. Going down. They, yeah, they, they were going... they were really patchy. You know, he he stabilised them in his first full season. He got them into the playoffs. Then got them promoted and has now kept them in the Premier League for two years on re- a relatively constrained budget and especially the wage budget, you know. And you do sort of think, like, I'm not saying, by the way, let me just preface this by saying I don't think them sacking him was racist in and of itself. Of course it wasn't. Or you'd hope not, anyway. But it does frustrate you a bit when you see things like, you know, black managers and we were talking about Darren Moore again even when you do a, even when they do a good job they're still getting sacks and Chris Hewton has done a great job at Brighton and you you kind of think like it's not good because people need people sort of need role models that they can relate to do you know what I mean so, so what what does that we do have a problem with not hiring enough black managers in our leagues in general, you know, Premier League downwards. What does that say to a young black manager? It's like, yeah, even if I take a, a, a club up to the Premier League and get them to survive and on a on a minimal wage budget in relative terms, and I still get sacks, what 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 does that say to the rest of them, you know? I think that Danny Rose, didn't he, turn around and said that this is one of the reasons why some players just think there's no point taking badges because what what are you expecting? And you rightly said there, JS, didn't you? One of the things that's not being asked is what what do Brighton think they're going to become? Yeah, you know they exactly. don't have they don't have a sixty thousand seat a stadium. They don't have massive budgets. So mm-hmm. the question, quite rightly, to the chairman could be: Well, what are your expectations? Because if you want more, then you need to provide more. Because yeah. you you know you needed to provide Chris with a bigger wage structure. Exactly, and if, and if better players, going, if they're going to do it with a new manager, why wouldn't they do it with Chris Hutton? Because he's he's overperformed at every single step every single season he has overperformed with what he's had an FA Cup semi-final and surviving in the Premier League yeah fourth from bottom and yeah I know about the run but ultimately it doesn't matter how you stay up 
does it? It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's like if those losses and, uh, you know, the goalless games had been spread out through the season, would people have been like, oh, that's OK then? You know? Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> I think with the the fact that Brighton chairman Tony Bloom, his background's all like analytics and sort of betting. And I think he's one of these people that has looked at it from a balance sheet point of view and thought, well, we spent this much. I know, obviously, the wage bill doesn't sort of match the spend, but he's obviously panicked and thought, well, this is a team that's now in regression, regardless if they've stayed up or not. So he's obviously got a bit jittery and thought, well, if this regression keeps going, I can't afford to sort of lose the money I've spent because there might yeah. be more money to come as well. So I don't think it's like a, a gut feel decision. It's more just looking at the balance sheet and a sort of analytical decision and arguably the wrong one. Is that a fair statement to make, JS? Yeah, I th- I th- I th- yeah, I, th- I think maybe that's his logical reasoning behind it. But again... It... <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what they expect, you well, know. Zero, I, honestly, I don't, you know. And a couple of no, it's only one Brighton fan. So I put the thing up about saying it's super frustrating about how it's another talented Bane manager being given the the boot, and now now I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm right in saying we have a completely all white managerial Premier League again. Yeah, you're right. You know. That just doesn't seem right. Oh, no, Nuno. Nuno. No, no. <laughs> He's not white, is he? Uh, I don't know, actually. What, what is Nuno his... Spirito Santo? Mm. Well, he's not a white manager, is he? I don't... I, no, I don't know what his heritage is. He's, um, well, Portuguese, but I think he's actually... Uh, African, but I don't know. We're getting splitting hairs, aren't we? Anyway, so so, yeah, yeah, so yeah, but only in the same way. Like people aren't like Trippier's not black. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, his dad is. So actually, that's fine. He's mixed race. You know, like at the World Cup, and I remember having an argument with some guy about it on Twitter, and he said, "Well, he doesn't look black." (laughs) It's like. Oh my god, mate! You've you've got your spade and you're just digging and you're digging and you're digging. Do you know what I mean? It was just kind of like it went on like that. It's like, okay, so because he doesn't look black to you, he's not mixed race. All right, then, you know. So, yeah, okay, so we've got one one mixed race one mixed race manager in in our top division, and when you kind of think. How many how many black players we've had in the last thirty years now in England? That seems a little bit off to me. Well, yeah, I mean, know? if you take that managerial percentage, hmm. that's five percent, and we've got surely yep. more than five percent of black players in the Premier League, so that doesn't correlate. And like Carl says, then black players are going to think, well, why bother doing badges? You know, like Danny, Danny Rose. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's what I was saying about the role model things. So when and even so, like I'm saying, even when you do a a very good job like Chris Hewson has done and you still get sacks or like Darren Moore definitely did. He almost, almost pulled off the miracle at West Brom and you do sort of think, ah, again, what are you, ex- what are you expecting? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Some, something needs to change in the culture of the game, but it, it doesn't help when you get, you know, black managers doing a good job. And still getting sacked. That that doesn't help anything, you know. Carl, because then they're, they're not all as rubbish as Paul Wince and Sol Campbell. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's it's true. Like, <clears throat> but, um, you know, of course they're not. Carl, in terms of um, expectations for Brighton, have club chairman's expectations been inflated by the fact that Wolves have got promoted and finished seventh? And people are now f- sort of thinking, well, if Wolves can do that, why can't we? And it's all almost made other clubs managers' <laughs> jobs are now a lot harder. Yeah, I mean, you know, but that's where you'd hope some people, these people have the sort of some realisation and then sit down and kind of, you know, rein in what they, their imagination feels they should do because Wolves are a different story altogether, aren't they? You know, the backing that that club have got with, you know, the super agent there who can attract players that wouldn't go there without him basically advising them to go there. Wolves wouldn't be where they are right now if they didn't have those links, you know, because they wouldn't have been able to attract those players. So, you know, you've got to look up, look at the setup of certain clubs that are doing well. And, you know, when you don't have the same setup as another team, you just need to say, right, what can we do to make sure we've got the best setup for us and our situation? And as we're saying, you know, when you've when you've got what seems like a successful guy in charge, 
nothing there's no reasoning why you can't make small changes with that same person in charge you know a lot of the time people just seem to think i want to change we're in the premier league we've got big money we should be up there challenging for the you know for the top six or so but it doesn't work like that you know not every club can challenge for the top six and you maybe have to stabilize yourself first and slowly build towards something um and yeah if if Brighton chairman was looking at Wolves thinking that should be us then you know as again my question would be he should be under pressure to lose his job because he needs to make sure the right setup is there not just on the pitch but off the pitch and if it isn't and he's not given the resources for someone to achieve that then he's just as much to blame as the manager in charge really yeah that's a fair point I think you know we now know the Premier League anything between sort of 7th and 20th it's such a fluid concept that, you know, the quality threshold, although Wolves sort of changed it slightly, there's not a lot of difference really. So it only needs a little bit more investment or sometimes time to then get up the table. So, you know, JS, the, the, the grass is not always green on the other side. So, like, Graham Potter's been linked with the Brighton job. Done good work at Ostersons, not really done great at Swansea, but that's a team in transition. No, no. So, I mean, does that really excite Brighton fans? Are they sort of looking at that and thinking... Are we really better off with him? Why don't we just stick with the manager we had? Right. And it just goes back to my to my actual point. Like, Hewton has arguably done better things. In, well, no, he has done better things in English football than Graham Boss has so far, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's not just at Brighton. You've got keeping noise. Newcastle, keep it, keeping yeah. Newcastle up, you know? Birmingham manager as well, you know? Oh, been... Jesus Christ, Hewton has been treated like shit, hasn't he? Well, yeah, wherever he goes... He Pretty gets much re- everywhere. So I think that there was a rumour, wasn't there, that the Brighton chairman went to watch Swansea and came away saying, oh, this is the best 45 minutes of football I've ever watched. Oh, but at good. the same time, you'd say, so you're basing all your... Yeah, you're base your exactly. future on 45 minutes. I've seen non-league sides take Premier League sides mm-hmm. to you know to places they haven't been in 45 minutes it mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're suddenly going to give that manager a job of a Premier League team I right. mean you just feel this guy's playing with Brighton's future and although yeah. although you do get a sneaking suspicion some someone like the Cowley brothers at Lincoln would be would somehow make it work in the Premier League yeah you know? I think it's a question of sort of when they get there whether it's with well maybe mm. Lincoln but they look like they're sort of getting all that sort of experience under their belt. They're doing it the right way. And I think it's only a case of when they finally reach the um, sort of upper echelons of the game. Cause do, you know, do you know they got into it by playing championship yes, manager? I know. And their mummies How great them is that? Yeah, yeah. The mummies to bollocks them and say you're wasting their time. And they said, no, mum. I love that. It'll pay off in the end. And it has, isn't it? So, you know, there's hope Fantastic. for us all. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god! So yeah, don't waste time on football managers. No, exactly. It's all for the greater <laughs> yeah. good. Um, um, can I just touch very briefly on Wolves? So I would say there yes, are very point, Jace. on you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very exceptional circumstance, and they've got that Jorge Mendes or George. Uh, actually, it's George because it's Portuguese. Hard uh, George, George, or George Mendes. The you know the super agent yeah. guy. Um, who and I'm putting this into because we're not on video, so for the benefit of our listeners, I'm putting this into heavily sarcastic inverted commas, not working for the club because technically it's it's against the the law of the uh, the Premier League and the FA and so on and so forth. But he he has some weird like non advisory advisory capacity with their I think the Chinese owners aren't they? Do you know what I mean? Yep. And if you notice, he managed to pick quite a lot of those top-level Portuguese players, especially the Lisbon ones. He just basically tore up their contracts, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you're getting players like Rui Patricio in goal, you know what I mean? And you're a newly promoted club, you do sort of think, how, you know? So it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I think that's a little bit dodgy. I'm glad Wolves are back in the Premier League, but let's just say without the the George uh, Mendes thing, that would have been impossible. You know, so even using their brains, Brighton and all those other clubs shouldn't be looking at Wolves, or if they do, they should be looking at them, going, "Yeah, but that that might come back to bite Wolves." 
sooner rather than later, I think. I've, I've got an inkling that's going to be picked apart at some point, possibly by someone like De Spiegel. There you, you go. Know. I was just about to say the same thing. It's sort of seventh with an asterisk this season. You shouldn't take away what they've done, but yeah, they've got a huge leg up the ladder. So we'll have to sort of see yeah. how that sort of breaks over the next couple yeah. of seasons. But in terms of this season, that's it. We're done. Um, not just for the end of this episode, but like I say, I'm going to take a welcome break. So first up, I need to thank my guest today, JS. It's been an absolute pleasure having you back on board. I hope you'll join me next season. It's been wonderful, Dan, and I, I will do. And thanks for all of the, the fun fun stuff that we started, what was it, last August it was, or something. Yes. So, Amazing. And Carl, of course, the warmest um, invite to you as well. Thanks for all your time across the season. It's been, um, well, not just a pleasure, a massive help also. Yeah, really enjoyed it, Dan. You know, I think we've made some some good new friends off the back of this podcast. So it, it's been a brilliant experience and one that I look forward to being part of again next season. Thanks very much. In terms of sort of the friends we've made, I also need to thank all the other guests. So apologies if I forgot names, but there's uh, Matthew, the Fulham fan, Sharpie, a uh, Bolton fan, Anthony Kendrick, Paul McGarricky, he'll be celebrating as a City fan, uh, Dean Smith, uh, Scott, and of course you two, Jason Cole. So... Like I say, thanks to anyone who's been a guest this season. I really appreciate it. Anyone who's taken the time to listen to all or any of my episodes, it means a great deal. Hopefully now I've got a full season under my belt. We can hit the ground running next time around. Of course, I have to thank Chris from Loserpool, who approached me at the start of the season and has allowed this project to flourish. Like I say, I'm off for a couple of weeks now, but I'll return in June and July with my 10-minute transfer dailies. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loserpool. And until next season... Goodbye. Network.